Welcome to a Black Movie Podcast where we celebrate Black culture through its cinema by reviewing and discussing Black-led films from a range of different genres and time periods. My name is Andre and with me today is... Lauren. Oh, I thought we were supposed to come up with fake names, but I guess I'm James. And Ghost Ryan. And if you could tell from some of the jokes, we today we looked at Ghost Dog, The Way of the Samurai, a movie that released in 2000, um, but I believe it hit the festival circuit in 1999, starring Forrest Whitaker, uh, directed by Jim Jarmish. Uh, and I'm just going to shoot it over to everybody before we get into the summary, simply because I just want to get everyone's thoughts before we really start to talk about some of the specifics with this film. So does anybody want to volunteer or is this one of those like classroom situations where I just call on people? I'll start and just say, I have no idea what I watched. Like I watched over the weekend. I'm still not exactly sure what I saw. And I'm curious if I'm alone in that. Uh, so you're you're not completely alone. I was baffled when I started this movie, and there's still some things I'm a bit baffled about. By the end, I landed on you know what I kind of like this movie. Like I don't, I get it. There's a bunch of stuff about it I don't like, but overall, like I'm kind of into it. Now you should all know that uh, I am 1,000% a weeb. So the fact that this was a movie about a dude who was basically a black samurai in real life was like already made for me. But yeah, it it was weird. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I literally have a degree in Japanese. I am the person who this movie was written for, I think, um, as ideal audience. And, and there's a lot of things about this movie that I really loved and a lot of parts that were so unintentionally silly and hilarious that they were like hard to breathe from laughing. But this is a movie, this is a role like written for Forrest Whitaker and the way that it kind of just really works around like his his skill as an actor was interesting. But it was, you know, it, it's a very unique and weird movie. Um, I, I really enjoyed it. I don't think that I had seen this before, which is seems like a big mistake, but I had a surprisingly good time with it. I shut my brain off a bit uh, during the early bits. And because I, once I knew what kind of movie this was going to be, Forrest Whitaker doing sword katas on the on on the roof of the building uh, with like interstitched uh, visuals, let me know what we were really going after. But most importantly, I think this is this was like, if not the first or like, was this the first movie that the RZA did a soundtrack for? Because I think that in that for that alone, this is historic. I believe it is. I haven't double checked it, but I do think that it is. I know he would later it on is. do uh, Afro Samurai, uh, that whole anime series, and uh, Man with the Iron Fist, and a few others. But yeah, I think this is the very first one. Amer- American Gangster was one that he did. Yep. Yeah, but like th- like that itself, I thought was like super good. At at the beginning, you know, the there's like a a hip hop beat in the background through the long intro. What is it about our movies for the podcast with like really long, confusing intros? But it's a thing we've got going. Um, we need to make a super cut. <laughs> yes, because you guys are letting me pick a lot of movies. <laughs> but 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 I mean, I like the thing is, is that once I realized like, oh, 
that's why this sounds familiar. This is fucking Wu Tang, and like, it's like okay, I know what I'm in for. This is a very specific brand of black people loving on Asian culture, and therefore, like, I'm going to have a good time with this. If you haven't picked up on it already, so this movie, Ghost Dog: Way of the Samurai, is about Forrest Whitaker playing a character who is pretty devoted to uh the samurai lifestyle and he's trying to live it out in like modern new jersey i mean they don't explicitly say the uh name of where they are in the movie but uh it, the movie was shot in new jersey and you can kind of tell by some of the backgrounds that it, it was a east coast city and so with that i did want to open up the floor and just kind of start talking about the character ghost dog because i feel like he was so part of it because he's the main character yes i know i understand but he was just so like his like forrest whitaker's performance was so integral to the to this movie that i feel like it has to be talked about thoroughly uh so i want to jump off on that part specifically so when this movie started and i I have it in my notes here like in the first probably 15 minutes i was like is forrest whitaker miscast in this movie like I, I, when, when he, Ghost Dog is like on the roof, when Ghost Dog is like driving around in a driving section that is way too long, um, that I'm convinced is only there so it can play the entire song that he's listening to. I was like, this doesn't make any sense. And like, why did they pick Force Ridiker to play this character? Then as the movie goes on, I'm like, oh, okay. Now that I know who this character is and sort of what his deal is, it makes a lot more sense that you would get somebody with the acting chops of Force Whitaker to play him. Because I think like anyone else could turn this either into something that's way too serious or way too campy. As it started, though, I was really worried. I was like, Oof, I don't I don't know. Yeah, there, there was a moment um, in the beginning where I was mentally trying to figure out what kind of. Like, I, I know that this is a movie about, you know, a hitman following a samurai code in the modern day. And I didn't know a ton more about it other than, you know, Rizzo did the soundtrack. And I was like, okay, well, it's Forrest Whitaker. He's, you know, walking up through this and I'm seeing him look at this expensive car. And so, okay, he's got a briefcase. He's going to assassinate somebody. And he goes to steal the car and he, like, puts on his, like, his theft gloves, his, like, white gloves to prevent fingerprints. That's fine. But, but like, what almost knocked me off the couch with laughter was that he, like, drops to the ground in, like, a Batman, you know, I disappeared out of frame move. And it was just, like, there was no one else around. He had a magic device that, like, a magic electronic device that, like, would unlock the door of the Lexus and also started the, started the Lexus. It, but, like, the idea that, like, if he had all of these things that he also needed to do the Batman disappearing trip was just, like... You know, great. And he gets in the car and he pulls out a CD from his own personal CD wallet so that he can put his CD in this other person's car's CD player. We never get any signs of him like removing the CD. I think the only trace he's ever left as an assassin is that there's a whole lot of weird mixtapes in people's um, luxury cars on the side (laughs) of the road. Just like, I don't know what happened, officer. There's no fingerprints, but like, I've got this like, you know, copy of Liquid Swords. So... I'm glad you mentioned that because I didn't I wasn't bothered by the car theft, strangely enough, but like it felt very intrusive to put a CD in someone else's CD player like that was like 
I really had a problem with that. I was like, I can, should you really be doing this? Should you be putting CDs in other people's cars? Not to mind stealing other people's cars. That part, not a problem. Yeah, that was crazy. Um, it was what was interesting to me was that it ended up being after doing some reading on this movie. On this movie, it ended up being like a reference to like this French film about samurai culture called like Lay Samurai or something like that. And like this movie is like chock full of like weird references to like a bunch of like random like Japanese or Italian or French cinema. Uh, but that wasn't the part about the character that really like drove me crazy. It was him and how devoted he was to the book. <laughs> was it uh Hagakari? Uh, Hagakure. Um, it's um, like it's it's a book about the way of the samurai. I don't know if we're ready for me to go into the like deep Japanese nerd uh digression, but like. The the fact that they built the movie around that is actually way deeper than even it seems as like a framing device. So f- since this is a audio medium, I have to explain it. Inter- interstitched into various parts of the movie are quotes from uh, this old um, Japanese text, the uh, the Hakakure, the um, it's like the Way of the Samurai book. However, that book is a book from a period in which Japan had not been at war for like a very long time like a couple centuries and the book is a event is basically a, a how-to guide for how to be a samurai in an era without samurai it is itself a way of talking about the maintenance of that code and way of life that's already passed by and like being kind of like out of time and it was picked up as as one of the things in by Japan's military in World War II as like, oh, this is what samurai stuff is all about. This is what we should do for this. But it's not actually like contemporary to when real samurai were running around, which actually makes it parallel really well with the movie. And that, you know, Ghost Dog is obsessed with, you know, this book that he read that teaches him about these things. He follows all the rules in the book about being a retainer, a, a samurai's retainer for someone and follows all of these, uh, all the cryptic and, um, and you know illustrative ideas in the book but you know the book itself was written for people who you know weren't written for a you know a warrior class without war and he is a mafia hitman in a modern day without like mafia hitman in the same that in the same way there's no loyalty the way that that he feels it in the book so for me as like japanese literature nerd that was fascinating I don't know whether it was intentional or not, but but it was a very good, a very, a very good uh, dichotomy to look at, like both historically how that book was used in Japan and how Ghost Dog uses it in his weird mafia retainer uh, situation uh, with Louis the Mafioso. I think that uh, leads to some of the issues in terms of the confusion that some people may have had with the movie. And so I want to turn it over to Lauren to kind of kind of just talk about some of the points with the movie that you kind of just for lack of a better word just didn't understand or just like had issue with yeah so like it's interesting because like even my husband pointed out it's a film by a white guy from the midwest about a black dude working for the mafia in a fictional urban area while living a code of the japanese samurai with which he has no personal connection whatsoever all to a soundtrack from wu-tang uh, so it's just like layers of appropriation and like lots of, to Audrey's point, like references to to French and Italian films thrown in, not being like a, a like a 
a Japanophile myself, but not knowing a lot of the different culture aspects that might be there. Like I found certain things like the the weird placards with the quotes from the book annoying in the way they were presented on screen. But we can get to like the actual technical components of the film later. What was weird for me was like, is this parody film? Is it an homage? Uh, what do you call this exactly? Because it was just such a weird structure for a film. And there were times where I wasn't really sure what was happening. It didn't feel very well pieced together. It felt very much like a student film that happened to get a distribution deal. But not like it like was clearly telling me what I should be expecting or who this person really was. And I think I was particularly put off by like a lot of the use of flashbacks being just kind of odd there don't seem to be any clear couldn't it's like there were pieces of a story like a broad framework of a story but no actual flesh on any of the bones and it just kind of went from scene to scene and things happened but it wasn't entirely clear why things were happening or who they were supposed to be happening to or what stake any of the characters had in what turns out to be like this huge conflict eventually uh, but it doesn't feel like it should have been a conflict. It was never really well explained, I guess, right? Like, the beginning of the film, Forrest Whitaker's character basically does a hit on another mobster, a made man. And then somehow, because he's left a witness, it becomes, it, like, this whole issue. But they never really explain a lot about why. So mostly I was left trying to figure out what's happening here and why is it happening and <laughs> who are these people involved with. So that that really threw me off a lot. I also wasn't really sure, like, Forrest's character, to the point about his acting. Forrest Whitaker is an amazing actor. I don't know if he's an amazing actor despite this film or that he does well because of the film. In some cases, parts of his character feel like he's unhinged and maybe not entirely tethered to reality. And then in other moments, he seems totally fine. So I was also not sure what I was supposed to take away in terms of, like, his connection to the real world and how strong it was. It's really hard to go from Ghost Dog using uh, uh, semaphore flags, like the, the the airport signal flags, to control a flock of pigeons um, <laughs> on the roof. Um, also, literally no reason for that scene. Just like, yeah, just just there. As There's no reason like, for a lot of scenes. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, as, as Could have cut like, like 10 minutes from this film and just like extra scenes. More than 10. Probably about a good like half hour. Um, if you think about all the driving scenes, we watched pretty much the entire journey back through the tunnel from New York to Jersey uh, twice uh, in two different things. Although one of those driving scenes does let you, let him drive past a club named Liquid Swords. Um, and so I, I got the feeling that that's intentional. I wonder what other Easter eggs are in those driving bits. Yeah, that one is a reference to something. I want to leave that one for people to kind of look uh, look up. Mainly because I don't have the note in front of me to what is a reference to, and I don't want to mess it up. So I'll just leave you all to go ahead and uh, look that up. But with that said, I do want to officially get into spoilers. We've leaked a few different things about it, about the movie so far, but I want to officially get to spoilers and start to bring in some of the other characters in the movie. Because a lot of them, a lot, there was a lot of weird uh, relationships in this. I think the one that stuck out the most to me wasn't uh, Raymond, the the ice cream truck guy, but it was actually the little girl that was reading the books that or uh, forget her name. Per Perline? Perline? Perline. 
Yeah, Paraline, uh, her and the books and the conversations that she would have with Ghost Dog, because it was a weird, uh, it was a weird sort of warmth that we got with Ghost Dog's character that didn't really match up to some of the other things that we'd seen in this movie. And it was just a, it was an odd sort of relationship that started to form at the beginning of the movie there. And so I want to get your guys' thoughts on that character and sort of how she fit in the movie. Because, yeah, she just seems a little bit off to me. Yeah, I would agree. Like, I think the character, what we got of her was fine. Like, I think the idea of like a little girl who's like super into reading and like giving these two books um, about Japanese culture like that, I think is really interesting. What I think is weird is that that didn't go anywhere. Like she just is in maybe three scenes with the second one being like of no consequence, if I remember correctly. And I just don't understand why they did that if they weren't going to have her character really do anything. And I think that's endemic of a lot of stuff in this movie where they introduce people who then don't really do anything. And then in many cases, they just die later. So I don't know. I thought I thought that part was weird. Thought she made sense, but only because she was obviously there to pick up his torch and continue on at the end of the film. Like this movie is full of stereotypes that the director was really obviously a fan of and found interesting, but didn't do the real work of connecting together to make a real movie out of them. And she was one of those things. Having a young girl that represents innocence, represents the young, you know, former youthful version of Ghost Dog himself and who can then take the torch on at the end and become the next samurai as evident by her sitting there at the end reading the book. Um, It was really obvious, but the problem was it didn't give her anything else to do, right? She's introduced just so that she can be that connection. There's no real reason for her to be whatsoever. And she's a weird character who reads those books and The Wind in the Willow and The Souls of Black Folk at like eight years old. I mean, props to her parents for, like, getting her a library card. But it was just, she was written to be too wise beyond her years and with no particular purpose. No, I agree. I I think that she was there mostly to help humanize Ghost Dog. And to Forrest's credit, I don't think that he needed a bunch of extra heavy-handed work to humanize like he did that really well himself even if there weren't any other named characters in this movie that you cared about he him there's just the way that he went about his whole life and the the gentleness he showed in interactions with like the birds the way that he dapped up people in the neighborhood when they walked by and saw him all those things i think did that job better than the weird interactions with uh uh with with uh Perline, the girl However, I will say that her actually picking up the gun and squeezing the trigger and actually going for it, like, you like, was willing to go kneecap this guy at the end of the movie was, like, surprising. I did not expect that to be her, her to be that about it already, you know, but hey, like, you know, more power to her. But yeah, like, it was definitely a, a thing that was weird. I, I don't think that it was needed. I think that there, there, there could have been something else there, but. Frankly, I, I feel like this is just someone who believes a little too much in the power of books. <laughs> it's that like, you know, like the, the, the idea that like, oh, yes, you can. Someone saved me from a bad spot. The way I remember it is that I owe them forever. And I am going to go check out exactly one library book 
in order to understand how to do those things and then go do Batman training for two, three years and then come back going like, I'm samurai now. I know you didn't ask for or order the samurai, but like I'm here and, uh, you know, let me know if you need anybody whacked. Yeah, that was one of that specific thing about him just like appearing back into Louis's life at some point and like already being a badass hitman is one of the things I probably like the least about this movie because we see him like in a moment of vulnerability where Louis helps him. And then from what we hear from Louis, we have no idea what happened in his life from that point to like 10 years later or something. And then he's like a badass assassin. And that's really like all the backstory we get. And I kind of wish we just didn't even get that. Cause like getting that makes me think, well, like how did this happen? Like, how did he go from point A to point B? If you had just told me he was at point B, I would have never even needed to think about how he got there. Are we not supposed to assume he was just dropped in a cave in Mongolia somewhere and taught how to fight in the darkness and eventually like crawled his way out and made his way to North America, to Jersey specifically, and then just became a power? Because I've been told by movies before that's how it works. (laughs) Oh, no passports. (laughs) None of that works. It's all fine. Um, I I agree with that, James. I feel as though uh, in that whole scene in the Chinese restaurant owned by Italian mobsters... Uh, that that was definitely like the weird, like weak part of that, where it's like, oh yeah, if you just would have just said like, oh yeah, this dude's obtuse, he doesn't know the phone, he only messages me by pigeon, then all of you know all of this stuff. Like I feel as though that character would have seemed would have been a lot more interesting than knowing that oh yeah, like Louis saved him, and that's why Louis is a retainer. Can we also talk for a second about these weird Kmart gangsters? Yes, and mafiosos that he's tangled with because like they were one of the weirdest weakest parts of the film for me this is the most ineffective mafia of all time they don't get anything done they literally have done nothing and they owe everybody money which I did not understand they couldn't pay the rent they killed a bunch of pigeons like I'm just so baffled by what they're just going from rooftop to rooftop looking for pigeons and black dudes to kill. What is happening? The, the mafia was late on their rent. The landlord comes and yells at them like, what kind of shitty operation is this? You're three months behind. And it's like, you're the mafia. <laughs> if like, this is the one thing you're not supposed to have trouble with. The one thing. They had enough money to whack one of their own dudes, but not enough to pay their rent. Like what? What was weird about that too was that every the site of every kill had a for sale sign in the yard and it was supposed to be like this deeper meaning thing about the house being soon to be vacant or something like that. And it ends up just making everyone look bad because especially after you have the scene where like it's clear that they can't pay their rent on this place. It was so weird was weird and they spend a lot of time watching weird 50s 60s cartoons which in all fairness i also watch as a kid from time to time but like glued to it and while i think there's definitely probably some weird philosophical element to the cartoons particularly how they shift from like the older mafia dudes versus the daughter watching at the end when she's only watching the simpsons instead that was just a weird thing that was constantly focused on Every time the mafia guys are on on the screen, that they're watching these cartoons. Why? 
what was the point of the cartoon? Why were these? Is that why they're so bad at their jobs? Because they're too fixated on TV? Is that what happens to mafia brains on TV? Yeah, like the, the mafia brain thing is a legit theory. I think that the cartoons were supposed to be uh, the clumsiest foreshadowing ever. Um, like there's a part where they're watching like Woody Woodpecker and then he gets distracted by Woody Woodpecker. Sorry, he doesn't get distracted by Woody Woodpecker himself. He gets distracted by a pleated woodpecker, real bird, pecking at um, a tree and he misses his sniper shot because he's distracted. Similarly, like I think there's a bunch of things that line up between those. I don't know what, if that's a reference to something. It likely is. There's a lot of clumsy references in this. Yeah. And uh, and to harken back to the one last bit about the flashbacks about Louis and how he became the retainer, that itself, I think, was supposed to be a Rashomon reference in that they remembered it differently. And that's the reason why the flashbacks were confusing, because Louis didn't remember it the same way that Ghost Dog did. But frankly, Rashomon needs a lot more than just that to call it a Rashomon reference. So, like, I don't think it did that well. Yeah. Oh, sorry, th- go ahead, Trey. Well, the only thing I was going to say was that and I think all of this, where it's just the weird mobsters that were, like, super racist, but, like, comically racist to uh, to uh, what we were talking about with uh, the little girl, Perlene, to some of the stuff we even talked about at the beginning of the podcast. I think that's all leads to why it's confusing because it's just layers upon layers of where they're trying to be deep and it leads to one of the best criticisms criticisms of this movie i've ever read which is it tries way too hard to be deep and it's not as deep as it thinks that it is and i feel like that was like that's apparent all throughout the movie when you like look at the just the numerous numbers of references whether it's the random Italian and French movies, the cartoons, just everything. And it just, it all doesn't like work together well to make a steady stream of uh, consistent uh, 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 points to where you can actually take like deeper lessons from this, where everything just seems to be uh, distracting you from what this you know this reference is distracting you from the meaning of that reference and so on and so forth yeah i agree i also think that's in my opinion fairly common of jim drummer's films too like it's mostly style and weirdness versus actual substance but in this case like i felt cheated by that because i did think there was like a there's a outline of a good story here and there's an amazing actor at the heart of it and i also think the acting done by um his name off the top of my head, the actor who plays Raymond, um, as well. Isaac Boncal. I'm pretty sure I butchered his last name. Thank you. Like, he did great, too. And his reaction to what happens at the end, I think, is, like, an excellent piece of acting. But you didn't get to actually examine any of those things. I didn't get to examine whether or not Ghost Dog is actually, like, relatively stable human being and who's just chosen this somewhat esoteric lifestyle. Or if he's not all there, which I think would have been a much more interesting story if he's actually like mentally ill and this is how he copes, would have been more interesting in a lot of ways. You've got this weird mafia background that is, again, currently to Andre's words, cartoonish in so many ways. I actually thought for a while, I'm like, are these, is this based on the good feathers from Animaniacs? Because that's what this feels like. <laughs> <laughs> like is, that, is that who these guys are? And that there was no danger because of them like it didn't and there were no stakes because they were so buffoonish and the mafia setup that's normally an interesting intriguing space was just kind of boring and clownish 
And maybe that was also the point. But if that was the point, it was it was sloppy and it was lost. I mean, one of the guys literally died from a heart attack from seeing him in in the room. <laughs> right. <laughs> that was great. OK, like I, I'm going to defend that. That was an efficient, you know, efficient double kill. And so it's like, can we talk about the like, so we talked about like how the seriousness and deepness of this doesn't work. Can we talk about some of the silly stuff that is like absolutely hilarious and made my day when Ghost Dog puts his silence gun away? He does so like it's like he flourishes it like it's a katana and slides yes. it into his belt like a sheath. And I thought that I made it up. I was like, was I sleepy watching this? Like he didn't just do that. That's not what just happened. And I rewound it and watched it like four or five times. And then he does it multiple times through the movie. Mm -hmm. It is absolutely ridiculous. He goes through a whole sword routine on the roof. But that Chekhov's gun never fires. We just never see it. We only see him use the gun kata in instead of that. And like, oh, God, it's so funny. There are so many hilarious executions and deaths in this movie. Just absolutely, like, bonkers stuff. I mean, okay, so we're dancing around it. He shot a through dude through a pipe. Like unnecessarily <laughs> like he's killed a bunch of dudes in a bunch of different ways that did not require him to go into the basement of a dude's house disassemble his plumbing and shoot him through the plumbing so so like yeah like to to frame this ghost dog you know kills one person by like putting scotch tape on their window and then shooting like like cutting their cable which makes them lean towards the tv and then he like shoots through the scotch tape part of the window to kill him without like breaking the whole glass. That doesn't work, by the way. Aspiring ghost men at home, ghost ghost people, um, were gender inclusive for assassins and but and then he like goes to the basement, he, you know, instead of like cutting the power or doing something else, he grabs a wrench, goes over, turns the hot water off, turns the cold water off, unscrews the pipe with the wrench, moves it out of the way. Waits and then like you know is like waits for the the mafioso who's rapping along to a song, uh, because he's the mobster who loves rap, and shoots him through the drain. The magically doesn't have a have a trap or anything that would have shot the bullet, and it will. And you should not be surprised that even this is a reference. This is a reference to another yeah. dumb movie killing because <laughs> there's some Japanese movie that had like the same. The, the same thing happened and it's like this is a collage this whole movie is a collage of stuff that um that that someone who thought samurai were cool would have like this this is the trapper keeper cover of a fourth grade kid who's just really learned a lot about japan from the encyclopedia and from wiki um and like all of that stuff just thrown together him shooting up through <laughs> through a pipe to shoot somebody in the head which is like so unnecessary on a million levels. It was oh, so good. So, so awful. So good. I was just about to say that. Yeah, that was a reference to another movie. <laughs> just to keep, just to continue that whole uh, stream of references and things like that. But yeah, I'm thinking about the part where they're actually chasing down, chasing them down and just looking for like big guys with birds. <laughs> just on the rooftops of some like East Coast city and... <laughs> The way they just like, there's a black guy, kill him. <laughs> it's just like how like what is this, dude? 
yeah how many one how many people are like birds on roofs in new jersey like there can't be that many people i don't know have you seen john wick i i think that there's like a thriving ecosystem there was just the one in john wick and it was always lawrence fishburne yeah but i thought he had a whole network of folks homeless people not of people with pigeons yeah even though they might be one in the same in some cases also was ghost dog homeless because it they kind of said he lived in like a shack or something and then like never explored anything more about that. That whole thing is weird. The The fact that the mob is just like walking around like looking for this dude that they know they can't find. Why? And they don't know what he looked like. So he shoots. They shoot the wrong dude. And then they figured out right after they've shot him. And I'm like, well, why? Why would you just shoot him if you weren't really sure? How did they figure out which which, you know, Pigeon uh, Coop was actually ghost dogs because he just comes home one day to find all of his pigeons dead. But it's never explained like how they knew it was his finally. Why they shot all the pigeons. So I'm just waiting for him to come home and then shooting him. Wouldn't that have solved your problem? Oh man, that whole scene with the indigenous person too. (laughs) On top of the roof with the pigeons. There were a lot of references to indigenous folks in this movie and I couldn't quite figure out what the message there was supposed to be. He just kept mentioning them. I think the message was that mafia folks are hyper racist and and they're just like, yes, like, you know, we're equal opportunity racist to everyone who's not a stereotypical anime as good feather style mafia person. God. <laughs> like just just like there's just so many there's so many things here that just like never get examined at all we still have no like normally you you get an idea about what a mafia is like into or like what they're doing i have no clue what their what what like their deal was at all Mm. no no you don't get an explanation for why they killed their own guy at the beginning other than he messed up somehow maybe he was sleeping with the guy's daughter sleeping with the daughter it was because the daughter yeah And, Um, and, and, and by the way the daughter you know, like her being there is the trigger for all the stuff Breaking Bad. But why does she care? Um, and why do like, they care if she saw it? And she does like she she even she makes it through the end of the movie alive. Um, she's in the back of the car at the end. She's just watching cartoons like her dad did. She's had zero meaningful dialogue other than lending Ghost Dog the Rashomon book um, because she's also like you know, somewhere on Pluto, like she feels like she's just extremely high this whole movie. Um, <laughs> um, and I still couldn't tell you what any of her anything is, her name, her motivations, um, what role she has or role she had, you know, 11 out of 12 of the mafia is dead. It's her and Louie left. Does anybody have any idea about like what her deal was at all? Uh, I didn't. Um, and I also we talked about this briefly earlier, but I have no idea why they were like, we also need to kill Ghost Dog now. Like he killed the dude they wanted him to kill. And their concern was she saw him kill the guy. But it's like they didn't seem to be concerned about that. So and I have no idea why that would mean Ghost Dog would need to die. They thought that she could trace Ghost Dog back to is it Joe. But she knew it was yeah. her dad. No, Louie, sorry. But the thing is, like, but she didn't know who Ghost Dog was or necessarily who sent him. He didn't say anything. So there's no reason to assume that she would actually be able to trace that back anywhere. It, except for when Ghost Dog appears later. Also, also, she's she's a mafia kid. Yeah. 
Well, yeah, no, Ryan, you got a point. Like, she's a mafia kid. She knows. It was clear that she knew. And every it was funny. Like, she witnessed all this death in the movie, and she seemed unfazed. She did get upset at parts of it. Like, she was obviously upset when it was happening. But at the end, when she's the new mafia boss, or so I assume from her running in the back of the car on her own with just Louie, like, she doesn't seem to care either. But it doesn't actually, it does, you don't get a sense as to her stake in any of this because they don't bother to explain it to you. She's just window dressing. And then at the end, like, she's, she starts off watching the same 50s and 60s old cartoons that her dad was watching. And by the end, she's watching Itchy and Scratchy on The Simpsons, which uh, I assume is, you know, a signal that, you know, the new age, the new generation is, you know, come on. Because that was a whole theme towards the end of the movie. But it doesn't mean anything because, uh, to James' point, I don't, or Ryan's point, someone, I don't know what the business was that she's taking over. So I don't care if she's the one in charge now. Like, she just, she didn't seem any different than her dad. She still sent Louie to kill Ghost Dog. So, did anything actually change or just the cartoons? And we spent two hours. This movie's two hours long, and I still <laughs> don't know any of those things. So, the fact that it doesn't tell you anything about any of the characters, and it spends two hours doing what exactly? Because it's not making a movie. Yeah, that's a really good point. Like, I didn't even think about the fact that we spent two hours and we have all these questions. And I've watched movies that are much shorter than I did not have these questions. And I think it goes back to something that we alluded to earlier. Um, but we probably should dig into a little bit more. Is like the way this movie is made is weird. Um, like, I'm not a movie person. We've talked about this before. I don't really know how movies are made. And even I could tell that, like, this movie was not constructed correctly. Like, I don't know if it was in editing. I don't know that they, like, didn't shoot the right scenes. But, like, scenes just happen. And then they just end. And a lot of times they end, like, a minute after they probably should have. So there are circumstances where people are just, like, sitting and looking around like are we still rolling cameras right now and then the scene ends it's it's very and then uh, don't even get me started on the quotes that separate scenes that like some of the quotes are interesting but i just hated that mechanic in the movie it was like why is this here it's because you don't know how to construct a film so like you know it's bad if i notice yeah i mean like do we i mean but they're also like just pure fan service for I, I feel like Forrest Whitaker just said, let me murder some more racists um, in this. Do y'all remember him driving back from, uh, oh yeah, his family, oh, yeah. His, his infiltration into the mafia house, dressing up as a real estate person named Bob Solo. Um, another reference. <laughs> another, yeah, another like double ref- Harrison Ford reference, I guess. Um, but like also... They're up in the Rockaways, like in upstate New York, and you're expecting me to believe that, like, Forrest Whitaker wearing a hoop earring and and straight-back dreads is, like, the legit real estate person who's going to show up um, at this thing. Like, that that wasn't ever going to work. But he ends up just killing two, like, white hunters who were all, like, you know, giving them them lip and flack when he uh, stopped to admire a bear they killed. There's no reason for that other than I think just, you know, we didn't get a chance to shoot enough racists. Um, so let's just do one more, you know, one, one more for, for 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 good measure, for feeling. Pat that kill count. God, I yeah. forgot about that. Um, 
There's also the weird scene where he's going up there and he's like swapping out the license plates so that people won't recognize the cars he's stolen. And he's basically at a rest stop off the expressway and he swaps license plate from his car to the one next to him while the family, like a middle class white family, is sitting like 10 feet away at a picnic table ignoring the very large black man hovering around their car. I'm like, this is not a thing that's going to happen. <laughs> this is not a thing that's ever happened to Forrest. Where he's just been hovering around someone else's car and they haven't come over to see what's up, what's happening, what's going on, dude. Not a thing. Not a thing at all. Or, or, the, or the woman who pulls up to the corner store in the hood in her convertible and leaves the car running with the keys in it. Yeah, no one would do that. Yeah. Those things aren't realistic. Also, he ne they never show what happens to this car. So, you know, I'm a big fan of Mercedes. So he gets this pretty sweet 90s SL uh, convertible Mercedes that he uses on the hit to the Mafia's dudes. And then he just doesn't have it anymore. So he has to steal the convertible from the lady in the at the corner store. Like, why doesn't he have that anymore? It, it didn't get damaged in any way. It, it's not like he had to, like, jump it off a cliff or something like in James Bond. He just decided he didn't want to drive that one anymore. He's stealthy and he's you know, covering his tracks because he's like a ghost. Yeah, it was just the weirdly obtuse part of the movie where, yeah, he probably could have still used it, but also could understand, like, why he would dump the car. Like, it didn't, it didn't make sense. Like, a lot of this movie didn't. No, and that goes back to James's point, which I do want to hammer home, because I think it's very important that people recognize the editing of this movie is bad. It's just straight trash. Like... There are a lot of scenes where he passes. There's a scene where he passes a guy on the street and they basically nod to each other and keep walking and they show them walking past each other for like a minute. There's nothing happening in that minute. They've already passed each other. They just keep going. But it, it and there's was the RZA, nothing right? in that like, scene. Yeah, that, that, it was. The yeah, that was the RZA's cameo. Oh, I, <laughs> that was the whole reason. But it did it not need to go on for this long. I, I made a <laughs> note made of like, no sense. Why, why the hell is RZA here? He has no lines. He's credited as Samurai in Camouflage, uh, which is just amazing. It's basically like the Adam Sandler. Someone got money to make a film with their friends, and they were like, let's make a film where we're all awesome samurai, and none of it will make sense, and the editing will be bad, and we'll use a lot of weird sort of like uh, echo movements to make Forrest Whitaker's you know, samurai prancing on the roof not look weird like it does, because Forrest Whitaker is not a samurai. And that does not come off as a cool move when he's doing it. It doesn't matter how many times you layer his movements on top to create an echo effect. It doesn't hide the fact that that's Forrest Whitaker with a katana pretending to be a samurai. The editing is just straight trash. The strength of the black samurai will be stripped <laughs> away. <laughs> oh, sorry, I had to do it at least once. Um, but, like, yeah, there's um, the, the Risa thing um, and, like... God, Samurai and Camouflage. Um, I can't believe they credit him that way. Um, we talked about it in a previous episode of Black Movie Podcast. If you want to go back in the feed and listen to us talk about uh, Barry Gordy's The Last Dragon. Uh, we talked a lot about how there is a real appreciation of like a certain part, certain parts of black culture have for um, have have for all things cool Asian. So like in that movie, in The Last Dragon, it was a lot about you know, reverence and love of Kung Fu and like, you know, and how like Wu-Tang styled themselves as, you know, Shaolin monks. Um, they referred to 
uh what was it uh for the uh to staten island is like shaolin shaolin land um in a in a bunch of songs and things um and this is the other half of that equation of you know black japanophiles um getting really really into samurai uh things of which like i am also like that is how that is how it happened to me in like fourth grade when i started doing book reports on japan and things and right now there's a million kids watching uh, Yasuke on Netflix and finding out about the real life black samurai that did actually exist and going through the same phase and they will be in may- maybe the long the, the, the long uh, silk screen uh, Dragon Ball shirts will come back uh, and all the other things that go along with this but the the soundtrack and like the the, the RZA soundtrack with the Wu-Tang bits the easy adoption of the samurai code into a modern gangsta ethic is something that actually has like a lot of coherence and legibility in a, like when thinking about like how black folks in inner cities often interacted with like bits of Japanese culture that leak through. And so like that part I thought was accurate. I mean, it's more likely that you end up with a ghost dog type assassin person. The, the, the weird thing for me would be that he would consent to working for this mafioso, but ghost dog himself you know, fairly, fairly, you know, ideologically consistent with how those things are. So many gang gang folks have strict codes over who are who are what they'll do, you know, who they're willing to engage with, who they'll who they'll kill, who they won't, how they do their work. So that part I think lines up, and I you know I I, I see where that connective tissue goes. It's too bad that the movie didn't decide to have like a real story, but there's definitely something there, and that like this is another way to explore that extremely fascinating relationship between like black culture and Japanese uh, or Asian cultures generally. Yeah. As we're talking, I'm realizing that this movie would have been amazing if it had been directed by a black person that actually loved Japanese culture. Like, and I don't know anything about the director, so I can't say, you know, what his feelings are on Japanese culture, but like just thinking about, what that movie could have been with with the bones of this story, which I still think are pretty good, just not executed well. But like the bones of this story, but from a director who is actually like connected to the source material or the inspiration, I think you could have gotten something really cool. Yeah, but the sad part is, and unfortunately we don't have time to talk about this, um, but the sad part is, is that that movie won't get made today. That's the sad, unfortunate uh, truth with it. Like, I don't think this movie gets made today Um, because it's just one of these weird indies that's like way offbeat. And it like and that movie just doesn't get made today. Um, Unfortunately, I can't elaborate too much on it. But on that point, because of just time, because we're nearing the end of time here. And I wanted to move us over to a conversation of Raymond as, you know, because I felt like that was one of the stronger parts of the movie, even though that part was also like weird and obtuse in a lot of ways (laughs) where you had this uh, French ice cream uh, truck driver who I'm guessing was from was who I'm guessing was Haitian. Yep. He was Haitian, I believe. Um, And you have him doesn't speak any English being best friends with ghost dog and they're having conversations 
where they know what the other one is saying, but they don't actually know what the other one is saying. And so I just wanted to just kind of get everyone's thoughts on that relationship before we wrap up here. I think Raymond is arguably the best character in this movie. Like, maybe you could say that, like, Ghost Dog is because he's the main character. But, like, Raymond is the only character that feels like he could actually exist, like, in real life. Like, and we don't even get that much about him. Maybe that's just the way he was written or, like, the way the actor portrayed him. But, like, I feel like I know, like, what Raymond's struggles are, what Raymond really wants to do, like, with his life to a degree. I felt his connection to Ghost Dog and to her line at the end. Raymond is dope. And I would, I mean, I don't know that I would buy ice cream from him because, I mean, he was still a little shifty looking. But, I mean, I support his dream 100%. I would absolutely buy ice cream from Raymond. I would be there, like, every day because, one, there need to be more ice cream trucks that hang out in places just as a general thing that neighborhoods need to have more of. But also because I agree, he was like the best character in the movie and the most fleshed out character, despite not actually having a huge role. He felt the most real. And I think the actor did a great job portraying him as being genuine. And the, the language thing I'm totally fine with, because I think it's actually perfect, perfectly reasonable to understand someone speaking another language, but not be able to speak it yourself. Speaking it is different muscle, really, than hearing and understanding and comprehending it. And so they'd obviously spent enough time together that they kind of got what each other were saying the same way that you think you know what your dog or your cat are basically asking from you when they're staring at you enough, right? You kind of know someone that way. So that, I think, worked fine. And I think it was a good way of showing how language doesn't necessarily have to be a barrier to friendship in all the ways. But I would have liked actually just more time and attention paid to them as opposed to the weird other shenanigans that were happening in the background. I am dying also to know how Raymond got to where he is. Like, I want like a backstory on Raymond. Like, I want a mm. whole mini series, like three season TV arc just from his like perspective as the ice cream dude in this neighborhood. Uh, doesn't speak English. How do you get here? What's happening? I'm just super curious. What does he do with all that money that Ghost Dog put in that briefcase? <laughs> right? Like, what's his life after this look like? He's obviously distraught by Ghost Dog being shot down the street. He seems just very real. He's, he's a weird counterpoint to the, the mafia dudes. Maybe it's a lone wolf and cub scenario where, like, he, another, like, Japanese show reference or something, um, uh, where, like, he takes the little girl assassin and they become, like, you know, a traveling hit you know, hit person team um, operating out of the ice cream truck. Um, I could see that. That would be great. I would watch that movie. Isn't that the professional? Yeah, it's just the professional. You're right. It is the professional. Hopefully slightly less weird. I will say, though, she turns down the ice cream from him. So I don't think they become close friends. Like towards the end, he offers her like he tries to offer Ghost Dog an ice cream and Ghost Dog turns it down because he's apparently, you know, he's on his death journey at this point. And apparently you don't eat right before that. Uh, so he offers it to Perlene and she actually says, no, I'm not hungry, which is actually one of the more unrealistic things about this. No, like eight year old girl is going to turn down a free ice cream cone. That's just crazy talk. Uh, but she does. I thought that was supposed to be mirroring. I thought that was like, like her mirroring. Like that, that, that was them setting up that like she is going to be his protege. I think it does. Yeah. But I think that it means that she's following in unwittingly in Ghost Dog's footsteps, but it doesn't connect her to Raymond. 
because the connection that Raymond and Ghost Dog have is the ice cream. Right. And can we talk about how bonkers this movie is that like a real sentence that I was about to say was, well, you know, you could tell that like her and Ghost Dog were going to be on the same assassin path because they both like chocolate ice cream and Raymond's love of vanilla, you know, clearly, you know, signaled God, that's a real thing that I was about to say. It signaled that he was pure. Yes. I thought Raymond also liked chocolate, but just said that like more people bought vanilla. Did I re- misread that subtitle? That was a sentence in this movie. Chocolate chocolate is the best. Oh, I, th- I think my copy of the movie did not have subtitles for Raven at all. I remember this exact quote. He said, uh, he said that chocolate was the best, but vanilla was the most popular, which is absolutely crazy. It's true. And accurate. In every possible way, it's accurate. Man knows his ice cream. Yeah. That's a sad truth. And with that, we're going to go ahead and go to final thoughts because we are running over time. (laughs) Just like Ghost Dog. (laughs) And so, uh, yeah, uh, I'll throw it out. I'm going to go over to Ryan and let you kind of give us the final thoughts first. Sure. Um, You know, there's a bunch of things that I don't, that I can't explain away about this movie that like, I, that, you know, that don't make a lot of sense that, you know, add to confusion but I still enjoyed it for what it was. I thought that it was at least a very unique way of of making a sort of melange of all these different references and movies. A lot of times when we talk about hip-hop, we talk about the the power of hip-hop being that in the remix, not necessarily in even just the thing. It's, it's like, you know, taking a bunch of familiar things and transforming it into something slightly new. And this is that kind of thing where... It is somehow a little more like a little more than the sum of all these disparate parts of like French and Italian movies, random hip hop references, things clipped from ancient Japanese uh, samurai texts and, and and old like, you know, mafia movies and make something that's like super memorable, even though like I don't think that it accomplished everything it was trying to set out to do. This movie made it to the Criterion Collection for a reason. And I think that like that uniqueness in the world that it kind of presented and created was like something I'm going to, I'm I'm not going to forget anytime soon. That's for sure. Uh, because like, I don't know how to explain to my brain what it is that we, uh, that, that, that we consume through this. So yeah, final thoughts. I thought was a memorable movie. It was a little too long. And if you think too hard about it, your head will hurt. Enjoy Forrest Whitaker doing weird, cool, you know, Asian assassin stuff turn your brain off and just kind of like roll with it and it'll be a good time. All right, let's pass it over to Lauren. I do wonder to some extent whether the accolades this movie has gotten are due to the fact that it was just weird enough, but also obviously trying to make some and failing to make some deeper insight that everyone was like, well, I think it's probably good, but I actually can't really tell kind of effect because that's that's sort of what I, I'm I'm getting from having watched it. I watched it on Saturday and then I watched on Sunday Nicolas Cage's new film Prisoners of the Ghostland and only after watching that film did I have a renewed appreciation for the film that this movie could have been at least because I can only say it's not Prisoners of the Ghostland but I do think that it was basically a treatment for a better film that never got made. And so I would like actually someone to make the better version of this film. I do actually think it's possible to do that these days. I just want someone brave enough to actually do it and not 
be overly focused on how cool they think they are, but more focused on actually telling the story that Forrest Whitaker's character, Ghost Dog, deserved to have told. Basically where I am. James, what about you? Uh, I'm in a similar boat. So I made a note of this, that this is the first movie I've ever seen where I was like, this movie needs to have a remake. Like somebody needs to remake this movie in a way that makes it good or better. Um, Because after all of our conversation, I still like this movie. I just think, and I feel like I may have said this last time with uh, Posse, but this is one of those movies that despite the fact that it is poorly put together and generally like not a well-made movie, like I still enjoy it. And I would probably watch it again, like not soon because it's too long and I might speed through a couple of the sections, but like I could see myself watching this movie at some point again in the future. Um, And I think a lot of it is the subject matter. I think is super interesting, even if it's poorly executed. I think Forrest Whitaker did a great job with what he had. And I think Raymond is like an amazing character. So that's why I really want somebody to just like do it again, but better. I just don't, I think to Andre's point earlier, that movie is probably never going to happen. Yeah. Um, yeah, unfortunately, I don't think that movie's ever going to get made. And that's a whole part of the reason why I don't want to go down that rabbit hole is, one, we're at the end of time. And two, that is a whole uh, rant in itself about sort of modern movies um, that we can get into on another different episode of the podcast when it comes up. But yeah, I I like this movie. Um, I caught this movie when I was really young and really enjoyed it and thought it was awesome. And watching it as an adult, I can see all of the flaws. And I agree with everyone. Like this, this is a movie that needs to get remade and needs to be improved because it's definitely it definitely hits a sort of. It's aiming at the right target, but it misses the mark. And that's, that's I feel like, the best way to put it, where there's definitely an audience for this movie that would really love and champion this movie, but it just doesn't quite hit how it should. And with that, this has been a Black Movie Podcast. Go ahead and go to our website, blackmoviepodcast.com. Rate us on iTunes and tweet at us at Podcast. If you want to watch Ghost Dog The Way of the Samurai and you somehow made it through our entire spoiler section without watching this movie, you can catch this movie on the Criterion channel. Uh, Go ahead and get a quick subscription to that. But with that, we are out. Thank you for listening to the Black Movie Podcast. Our show is edited by Mike Knight. Our theme song is by Chris Negro Justice Brown, and our logo was created by Savannah Alexander. Even if you never heard of me, just know I murder beast. Leave all these kids with third degrees. Evidence is empirically laid out in front for you to see. I found the Trinity. Good people, weed and memories. These are the only things I need.